0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: This is Pastor Stuart McClellan from the Altoona Bible Church greeting you. The warm-hearted church with a heartwarming message, the family church. Sing with us, pray with us, and follow the message in God's Word. The choir will open our service by singing, He will come and save you. Now Lucinda Richardson will come and sing, Who Will Be Jesus?
2: he came home from work last night she was gone. Now he's spending his first Sunday sitting in the pew alone. There are whispers all around him, and his heart breaks in two. He's wondering who will reach out and help him make. Jesus, to him. She has a reputation like the woman at the well. The only love that she ever. Was the kind she buys and sells, but her thirsty heart is searching for a love that will be true. The Savior cries for her to see Himself in me. God, we serve, who will be Jesus?
1: Now have buddy hand playing on the trumpet, we shall behold him. now is John and Penny Harris singing, Jesus draw me ever nearer. we have Jesse Nago coming to play in the flute, The Old Rugged Cross. I want to thank all our musicians and singers for providing us with such beautiful and Christ-centered music. Our sermon topic is, Charge It to My Account. Philemon, verses 16 to verse 18. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on my account. Last week we began a series on charge it to my account. It was based upon Philemon verse 18, the Apostle Paul's statement to Philemon. I suggested that a great theme of the epistle to Philemon is not forgiveness or brotherly love, though we understand that, but imputation. Verse 17, if he owes thee aught, put that on my account. Receive him as you would receive me. In Paul's epistles there, and in this epistle to Philemon, there are three important individuals. Philemon the master, the church of Colossae was meeting in his home, Onesimus the runaway servant, he wrongs his master, possibly robbing him, beating him up and escaping and ending up in Rome, Italy. And Rome was located approximately a thousand miles to the west of Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey. His paths crossed with the imprisoned the Apostle Paul. There, Paul in his own hired house with a Roman soldier bound to Paul. The Apostle Paul leads Onesimus to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, Philemon verse 10. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle of the Gentiles. The Apostle really wanted Onesimus to stay with him, but decided to send him back to Philemon. To really understand this great doctor of imputation, I would suggest that you draw a triangle. And I could make these available for you. Just contact us here at the Altoona Bible Church. But draw a triangle, and Philemon's name should go on the top, and Onesimus' name should go to the lower right, and Paul's name should go to the lower left. Then draw an arrow from Onesimus to Philemon, from another arrow from Philemon to Onesimus. Then draw an arrow from Paul to Philemon, and draw an arrow from Onesimus to Paul. Then write the words for Onesimus to Philemon. He wronged him. Then you could write the words from Philemon to Onesimus. He could punish or forgive. Under Roman law, the power was with the Master, Some servants were being crucified for far less offenses than what Onesimus did. Then write the words from the Apostle Paul to Philemon. Charge it to my account. All his wrongs put, impute them to my account. Receive him as you would receive me. And when you receive him, not not as a servant now, but above a servant as a brother beloved. And then write the word from Onesimus to the Apostle Paul. Faith. Truly, that's the issue of imputation. Now I want to talk about the three biblical imputations that we find in the Word of God. And they are, and then we will study them in depth. Adam's sin was imputed to all mankind. Our sin, your sin, was imputed to the Lord Jesus Christ, and His righteousness was imputed to all believers. Adam's sin was imputed to all mankind. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 Wherefore, is by one man sin entered in the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. All mankind sinned when Adam sinned. He sinned, we sinned in Adam. The verb sinned in Romans chapter 5 verse 12 is in the aorist tense in the Greek language. Aorist tense means completed action point in time. The view of Romans 5:12 is not our personal sins, but rather Adam's sin. And there's a difference in the Bible between sin singular and sins plural. Romans chapter five, verse 13 and verse 14. "For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless. Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who was the figure of him that was to come. From Adam to Moses was approximately 2,500 years of human history. The Mosaic law was not given to Israel to Exodus 19 and 20, and it was then dedicated with blood in Exodus chapter 24. There is the beginning of the law. The word imputed, Romans 5.13, is the same word. Put it to my account in Philemon, verse number 18. In Genesis 5, you see the ringing of the death bell. Why did these people die? This person begot, this individual lived so many years, and they died. And then this person begot so many children, and they died, and they died. Why did these people die? These people did not die because the law of Moses condemned them, because the law of Moses was not there in Genesis chapter 5. It's not because the law of Moses condemned them, but rather they were identified with Adam's sin. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Did you notice the words, the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die? Genesis 2.17 Did Adam die the day that he ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Absolutely yes. Yes. And you might ask, how can you reconcile Genesis 2.17 in the words, that thou shalt surely die, with Genesis 5.5, where it states that Adam lived to be 930 years old. Because the word death means separation. And there is more than one death in the Bible. There is physical death, there is spiritual death, and the eternal or the second death. Genesis 2.17 is a reference to spiritual death, Whereas Genesis 5.5 5 is a reference to Adam's physical death. Here's an important illustration. Abram and Melchizedek. And this is from Genesis chapter 14, verses 18, 19, and verse 20. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. Melchizedek, king of righteousness, king of Salem, the king of peace. Verse 19, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram, of the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth. Verse 20, and blessed be the most high God, which hath delivered thy enemies at thy hand. And he, that's Abram, gave him Melchizedek tithes of all. Abram met Melchizedek, and again, his name means king of righteousness, king of Salem and peace. And Abram paid him tithe. Listen to Hebrews chapter number 7, verses 9 and 10. Again, I hope you have your Bibles, that you're following along as I read these verses of Scripture. And as I may say so, Levi also, who receiveth tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. For he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Levi was a great-grandson of Abram, Abraham. You have Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, Levi. Remember, Israel was to be a kingdom of priests, Exodus 19, 5 and 6. But because of Israel's disobedience, the priesthood went through one tribe, Levi. And that's why that verse of scripture talks about Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. So when Abraham paid tithe to Melchizedek... Levi, his great-grandson, who was not there physically, Hebrews says that he was yet in the loins of his great-grandfather when this happened. And the whole point of this is to demonstrate the superiority of Melchizedek's priesthood over Levi, priest, the, the priest of Aaron. Hebrews chapter 7, verse number 11. If, thou, if therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, Remember, you had it going through one tribe, the tribe of Levi. For under it, the people received the law. What further need was there another priest that should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? If you go and read Psalm 110, verses 1 through verse number 4, the Lord Jesus Christ is a priest after the order of Melchizedek because he couldn't be a priest after Aaron's group, because that would be the tribe of Levi. The Lord Jesus Christ, the kingly tribe, was born through the tribe of Judah. So we were not there physically in the garden when Adam ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, but we were in his loins. So when he sinned, we sinned, and then our sins, plural, the sins that we choose to commit, prove that we're sinners. In Romans chapter 5 verses 12 to 21 there's this great contrast between the two Adams. You have the two Adams, the two acts, and the two results. And again I would encourage you to read Romans chapter 5 verses 12 to 21. The first Adam, he was created by God. Part of Genesis one twenty-six says, "And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness." Verse 27. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And Genesis 2, 7 says, The Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. That's, That's the first Adam, Adam, who was created by God. The last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, God manifested in human flesh. John 1.1 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 says, The Word became flesh then, and dwelt among us. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, and verse number 47 And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Notice, the last Adam, not the second Adam. Or the third Adam, because if you said the second Adam, someone would say there's another Adam. He is the last Adam. This is how God sees the human race today. Verse 47 says, The first man is the earth, earthy, the second man is the Lord from heaven. The two acts. The first Adam was disobedient. Romans chapter 5, verse number 19 says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. The last Adam. The Lord Jesus Christ was obedient. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient of the death, even the death of the cross. The two results. The first Adam brought sin, brought death, brought condemnation. The last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, brought justification and eternal life. Look at Romans 5, 12 and 21 and look at how this section begins and how this section ends. It begins in with Romans chapter 5, verse 12. The first Adam with sin and death. Romans 5.21 the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, righteousness and eternal life. And I want to ask you a serious question. Think about these questions that I'm going to ask you. They're serious, they're important. Where are you? And I'm not talking about your physical location. Where are you? Where are you spiritually? What is your position? Are you in the first Adam or the last Adam? In the first Adam, that's unsaved. In the last Adam, that's salvation. That's eternal life. And when God looks at the human race, God only sees two places. In Adam, the first Adam, that's unsaved, going to a Christless eternity. Or in Christ, the last Adam, and the eternal promise of absent from the body and present with the Lord. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ, your personal Savior? Wherever you may be listening to this radio program, to this message, if you've never trusted Him, right where you're at, trust Him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Then we see and understand as we continue looking and think on those questions. Only you can answer those questions. And it's serious because we're talking about eternity. Then the second imputation is, man's sin was imputed to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is God manifest in human flesh. He did not experience sin. Adam's sin was not imputed to him because of the virgin birth. He did not sin, he could not have sinned because he was God manifest in the human flesh. So, so when he was born, because he was born of the Virgin Mary, he does not have a sin nature, so the condemnation in Romans 5.12 is not on him. And as he lived his life, he did not sin, he could not have sinned, because he was God. And I know through fundamental Christianity many years ago, there were some who, fundamental teachers who were teaching that he could have sinned. No, he could not have sinned, because he was God manifest in human flesh. He became sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin. The Lord Jesus Christ lived the perfect life that when he dies on the cross, he is dying for your sins, for my sins, for the sins of the whole world. And the second part of verse 21 is that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And we'll talk about that portion in a few moments because reality is second Corinthians 5:21 has two of the three imputations Christ being made sin for us and that why the word that introduces the result clause that we might be made the righteousness of God in him 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 22 says who did no sin the speaking of Christ neither was guile found in his mouth the third imputation is the Lord Jesus Christ just think about this the Lord Jesus Christ's righteousness was imputed to all believers. Second Corinthians 5.21 has 25 words in the King James Bible. 25 powerful words. Second Corinthians 5.21 describes the very heart and the very essence of the gospel of reconciliation. The imputation of the very righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ upon all believers, upon their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Literally, at the moment of their salvation. When an individual believes the gospel of Christ, God imputes to that individual the very righteousness, very holiness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And As I said, this occurs at the moment of salvation. When God sees a believer in Lord Jesus Christ, he does not see him in all his faults. God has forgiven all sin, but then he imputes to that saved individual the very holiness, the very righteousness of Lord Jesus Christ. And this is positional truth. Just think upon that hymn, And Can It Be?, written by Charles Wesley. Here's just part of the fourth stanza. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head. And clothed in righteousness divine. That's that imputed righteousness that 2 Corinthians 5.21 is talking about. Or what about the solid rock? What a wonderful hymn written by Edward Mote. The fourth stanza. When he shall come with trumpet sound, O oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. You see, God the Father. And remember, remember what we began with this study, talking about imputation, talking about the epistle of Philemon, three important individuals, Philemon and Ephesians, the Apostle Paul. Well, here, think about with this. You have God the Father, Perfect righteousness, perfect holiness. Mankind, all, all have sinned. God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins. What I encourage you to do is draw another triangle. At the top, put God the Father. At the lower left, put the Lord Jesus Christ. In the lower right, put mankind. Put your name. Then draw an arrow from God to you, from you to God, from God the Son to God the Father, and from you to Lord Jesus Christ. And then what you do is put on the arrow down from God the Father to you. Put the word punish. Put the word forgive. Put the word impute. Then the arrow up from you to God the Father. Put sinned. And then from God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, write, charge it to my account. Receive them as you would receive me. And then the arrow from you to the Lord Jesus Christ, put the word faith. Do, do you understand and see? Do you see the parallel between the three individuals in the book of Philemon and what we see with the three imputations with God the Father, God the Son, and God the and us, individuals, sinners, saved by God's grace. We place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ, saying, God the Father, receive them as you receive me. Take all their wrongs and charge it to my account. That's why I said the book of Philemon is more than just talking about brotherly love and forgiveness. I understand that. But the great message, the, 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 the great power of that epistle is dealing with what God has done for us, the issue of imputation, justification. We need to understand the word justification means to be declared righteous. It does not mean just if I've never sinned. I know there are people who will say well, here's, here's kind of a definition of justification, just if I've never sinned. You were born sinners. I was born a sinner. We did sin. The, the word justification means to be declared righteous. Justification is a judicial act of the righteous holy God to impute Christ's righteousness to our account. And again, please keep in mind, this isn't done like years later or based upon if you do this, then I'm going to do this. This is upon the moment of salvation. We have been declared righteous. This is our position. Yes, we should follow after righteousness. Read Second Timothy chapter two, verse twenty two. But but the issue is this is our positional truth, the imputation of the very holiness and righteousness of Lord Jesus Christ to our account. Pastor Culp, and many of you will remember his name, was the founding pastor of the Altuna Bible Church. Back in the late 70s, early 80s, he preached a message on justification, and he shared these six points of justification, which I'd like to share with you this morning. Justification is not a pardon. Many times in the hymn book, when we're singing that I've been pardoned, we have that's not the issue. Justification is not an, a pardon or acquittal. It is a judicial act of God declaring the guilty sinners righteous. Justification causes no one to be righteous. It is not the bestowment of such righteousness. We need to follow after righteousness, absolutely. But this is what our position, as we said. Justification is not a religious, emotional experience by a repentant sinner. Point four. There is no cause in the sinner that God should justify him. It's not in us. The cause is in Christ. Point five, just as righteous as Christ himself. And the last point is justification is our standing before God. Romans chapter three, verse number 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified to be declared righteous in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law cannot justify anyone. By well, the law was absolutely the knowledge of sin. But sadly, there are individuals today in the 21st century, if you ask them, do you have the assurance of going to heaven? Well, I think I'm going. Well, what do you think God requires? What What do you think you've done to get in heaven? Well, I've tried to be a good person. I've kept some of the laws, some of the Ten Commandments. not perfect, but I kept the The Bible tells us, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in its sight. And if you keep reading in Romans, that was Romans 3.20, down to 3.21. But now, but now, there's, there's a, a change. The righteousness of God without the law is manifest as being witnessed by the law and the prophets. And this, the righteousness that verse 21 and verse 22 is talking about, it's not the attribute of God. Of course God possesses righteousness and true holiness. We know that. Read Daniel chapter number nine, verse seven. But this righteousness here will show you is the imputed righteousness because the very next verse of Scripture tells us in verse 22 even the righteousness of God, which is by the faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. The righteousness of God, the imputed righteousness by faith of Jesus Christ. And let me be very clear. It is the faith of Jesus Christ and not faith in Jesus Christ. Seven times in the King James Bible it's translated the faith of Christ. That's his faithfulness. And not faith in Christ. That's man's faith. In their own English language we have the difference between objective and subjective faith. And the faith of Christ is found in Romans 3.22 Galatians 2.16 two times Galatians 2.20 Galatians 3 22, Ephesians 3 12, and Philippians 3 9. And we're not I'm not saying that we don't place our faith in Christ. I'm just saying these seven times should not be translated faith in Christ. It's his faithfulness. Because he has been faithful, we can trust and we can believe him. Again, what is the difference? The faith of Christ is the faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can think of illustrations. You can think of illustrations where your family has always bought this specific product, whether it's an appliance, whether it's a car, or bought from this specific dealership. And then you find out later that the product that you were buying, they were using second reused motors and selling it as new. What would happen? You would remove your faith. And if someone said, oh, I need to buy this kind of an appliance, where would you go? You would never recommend that specific brand or that specific appliance because you've removed your faith that, that's faith of, faith in so the faith of Christ seven times, it's about his faithfulness and sadly modern Bible versions translate Romans 22 and those verses of scripture I shared with you faith in Christ, making it man's faith here is the contemporary English version Listen to their translation of Romans 3:22 it's it's actually very it's very sad because it says this God treats everyone alike he accepts people only because they have faith in Jesus Christ it's Romans 3:22 from the contemporary english version that's a that that is a very sad and strange translation because it doesn't mention anything about the righteousness of God and in fact in the Greek New Testament the very first word in Romans 3.22 is the word righteousness and in the Greek language the first word that's the emphasis so the emphasis upon the righteousness the contemporary English version doesn't even put that in their translation Romans 3.22 here is the new international version This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Well, the NIV mentions the righteousness of God, but they say that it comes from the faith in Christ, but they don't mention it's upon all. Man's faith is clearly seen, if you read Romans chapter 3, verse 22, and you go back and read this, study it. Even the rights of God, which is by the faith of Jesus Christ, that's his faithfulness, it's unto all. Aren't you thankful that word all there? We sing this wonderful hymn. There's room at the cross. So millions have come. There's always going to be room for one. If you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior, there's room for you. Believe on him before it's eternally too late. Certainly as we've come through COVID-19, the pandemic that we've just seen, these astral astronomical numbers of individuals who have died who have perished sad but it reminds us of what the frailty of human life it, it tells the truth of james that our life is but a vapor that here and it's gone so romans three twenty two, 22 even the rights of, of god which is by the faith of jesus christ unto all and upon all them that believe there's our faith There's where man's faith is, all that believe, for there is no difference. The Philippian Jower, asking Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do that I can be saved? Believe, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou thou shalt be saved. So the NIV mentions the righteousness, but then fails to talk upon the faith of Christ, and just makes it to be faith in Jesus, and doesn't say, upon all, it says, to all. And as I said, in the Greek New Testament, the very first word is righteousness, and that's the emphasis of the sentence. Romans 3:23 says, For all of sin and come short of the glory of God." Then Romans chapter 3, verse 24, "Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus." And the word freely is translated in John 15:26, "Without a cause." Without a cause. They hated the Lord Jesus Christ without a cause. That's the word freely. The word freely is also translated in 2 Thessalonians 3 8 for not. How are we justified? We're justified freely. We're justified without a cause. We're justified for not. There's no cause in us that God should justify us. It is all about what? God's grace. And if you go back and remember those six points of justification that I shared with you from Pastor Colt, justification causes no one to be righteous. Then the fourth point is there is no cause in the sinner that God should justify him. The cause is what? The cause in Christ. And if you continue reading in Romans chapter 3, no wonder why. During the the Protestant Reformation, what was the battle cry? What was the cry? Justification by faith alone, without the church, without the law. Because why? Because it's seen here. And I would encourage you, if you've never read this portion of Scripture, go back and read Romans 3, Romans chapter 3, into the fourth chapter, and go into the fifth chapter. Because if you read Romans chapter 3, verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God has sent forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness. There's God's righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Verse 26, To to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. There's there's our faith. It's not by some religious activity. Of those which believe in Jesus, where is boasting then? It's excluded by what law? Of works, nay, but by the law of faith. Verse 28, here's this great conclusion. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. You go into the fourth chapter, it's still talking about justification. Remember we shared with you in Romans 5, verse number 13 where it says for until the law sin was in the world but sin is not imputed and that's the same word that's found back in Philemon where the apostle Paul says put it to my account charge it to my account well here in Romans chapter 4 you will see that there are different words and the word counted the word imputed and look there's no cause in us and notice here in Romans chapter 4 beginning in verse 1 what shall we say then that Abraham our father is pertaining to the flesh hath found? If Abraham were justified by works, he hath where of the glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? And this scripture takes you back to Abram in Genesis 15. Now if you go over to James chapter 2, we don't have time this morning to talk about this. And this causes some people confusion. Because they look at James chapter 2 verse 22, 23, and 24 and James says you're justified not by faith only but you're justified by works. And over here in Romans 4 you're justified by faith only. Well, look at the scriptures and you will see that these are at a different point in the life of Abram, Abraham. Romans 4 takes you back to Genesis 15. Abram, the uncircumcised Gentile who's going to believe, we'll read the verse of Scripture, he's going to believe what God says. James takes you back to Abraham in Genesis 22, where he was willing to offer up Isaac his son. But he knew that if he offered Isaac his son, that God would raise him from the dead, because he knew the promise was going through his son Isaac. And so here in Romans chapter number 4, Verse 2 again. If Abraham were justified by works, he had wear of the glory, but not before God, for what saith the Scripture, going back to Genesis 15. Abraham believed God, and it his belief was counted, it was imputed, it was reckoned unto him for righteousness. What what did he believe? And in fact, if you go back there and read it, he, he brought nothing to God, brought no sacrifices, no money to God, no prayers what did he believe remember at this point in abram's life he he doesn't have a seed and he asked god the question go back and read genesis 15 is eliezer of damascus is this my heir no look look to the heavens so shall your seed be as the stars of heaven and abram could have questioned god and said uh, god i'm 75 years old i don't see how that's possible He believed God. And what, and you have to understand, it's not where God revealed to him or talked to him about the coming Savior, the death prone resurrection of Christ. He, he took God in his word. He said, Amen, God, so be it. I believe it. What does God do then? Verse four. Romans four, four. Down to him that worketh is reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not here's a message, and God's going to use Abram, and then later on in verse number 6, in verse 7, verse 8, he uses David. Abram before the law, David under the law. As an illustrations of what? Of the issue of justification. Verse 5, but to him that worketh not, literally the person who stops working, but believeth on him that justified the ungodly, his faith is counted, it's imputed for righteousness to the person who simply believes and that goes back and look back at 2 Corinthians 5 21 he, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him and that's why I ask that question or series of questions where are you not physically where are you positionally where are you spiritually do you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your personal savior you've never trusted him then you're you're in the first Adam. And you're doomed, you're you're going to a Christless eternity separated from God, separated from Christ throughout all eternity. You have but one message from God. Believe on him before it's eternally too late. And then if you think about it, God will take you out of in Adam, identify you in the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ and then impute to you the very holiness, the very righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. And if you trust the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior, you see, you're in Christ. God has imputed that very holiness and righteousness. Should we seek to follow after righteousness? Absolutely. Then you go to the fifth chapter. The fifth chapter begins, Therefore, because of justification, therefore being justified by faith, we... Not the world, the believer. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's not the peace of God, it's peace with. And you don't make that peace. That's a peace that God gives you as a gift through the Lord Jesus Christ. God made peace for us through the blood of the cross. Oh, justification. Believe, thou shalt be saved, and God imputes to you the very holiness of Christ. You have been listening to the Altoona Bible Church. We trust that you've received a real spiritual blessing from this service. It is our prayerful desire that you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. So until we meet again by radio, this is Pastor Stuart McClellan from the Altoona Bible Church. Wish you God's best for now and for all eternity.